Em Rossiano and Michael Lucas. Oh my God, I can't wait. It's happening. It's happening. This is Emsolation. The internet lost its collective mind. She is choosing to focus on the one time in history when one of her conspiracy theories actually was correct except yeah. for Trump being elected. What yeah. are you saying is erectile dysfunction? Don't know. I'd get but... on board with that theory. <laughs> You're in Emsolation. Hello, darlings. Welcome to episode three of Emsolation. Um, I'm laughing because I have really super bad PMT at the moment. I'm five days out from starting a new cycle. Let's get all our cycles aligned. And um, my PMT shows itself in just, I just, I'm extremely touchy. All my nerve endings are on the outside of my skin. Every move everyone makes around me is like an insult to my family and my ancestors. I... I'm so frustrated at everything. So Scott just closed the door really loudly and I yelled at him. I was like, how dare you? I'm trying to work. And then I realised how over the top it was, but oh my God. So, you know, bear with me during this podcast. There could be tears, there could be laughter, there could be anger. But I mean, that feels like part of the course with me anyway. How are you going? How are you feeling? Episode two. Oh my goodness, you guys, we got to number two overall on the podcast charts. Amazing. You guys have just got right behind this whole weird idea that I came up with. So I appreciate that so much. You're all subscribing and leaving lovely reviews. Some will have to four-star reviews, so I'll obviously have to track them down and find out what I need to do to earn that extra star from them because I'm kind of obsessive type A eldest child like that. Today, it's been a weird day already. It's um, Wednesday because we record on Wednesdays and you'll be hearing this Thursday morning and um, or Thursday whenever you listen. I just assume you all sit by your phones waiting for it to drop and then press play. I know you don't. I need to get a grip. Today marks the first day of my middle daughter, Odette, uh, doing her remote learning. She's in year eight. And look, this little bit, this little one-on-one that I do is going to be about, you know, being in lockdown with kids. But I want to ask, if you don't have kids, don't tune out because I have a very important favour to ask you later on. Okay, so this is for everyone. So I feel like, and I don't know if you're feeling the same way, I feel like the drama and the glamour and the shock has worn off the fact that we all have to be self-isolating and and not really leaving the house unless it's essential. And I feel like now we're starting to get into the drudgery of it and the monotony. And I need you guys to just stay with me. And this is helping me so much, but just remember come June in the middle of winter, it's going to be tough. I'll be here though. I'll be here every Tuesday and Thursday to hopefully help lift you up like a husky like a glamorous, multicoloured husky sniffing you out of the snow that's buried you, just dragging you out by your earrings. I don't know. That's I don't know. That's why where I went. But yeah, I'm a glamorous husky now. Oh god, it's going to be a long day. So um, I uh, was contacted by a teacher actually because I'd been saying homeschooling, I'm homeschooling, but I'm not homeschooling, I was told by a teacher. And she's right because she spent all of her holidays preparing lessons to teach my child. So they are remote learning and also homeschooling when kids were homeschooled back in the eighties and nineties, those were the kids that, you know, smelt like patchouli and had bare feet and used to knit their own tampons and learn maths with wind chimes and dream catchers. I mean, I was intensely jealous of their education, obviously. So uh, yes, we will refer to it from now on as remote learning and so shall you. So I'm, I'm more like, I guess, a sassy warden, making sure my inmate is behaving kind of like, kind of like Chicago. Ooh. I'm mama and Odie is Roxy Hart, only with less cheating husbands and murder and more learning about photosynthesis and fractions. Although if I'm being honest, probably the same amount of dance numbers. 
Odie is a social being. I don't know if you have a kid like this, but she has a very tight friendship group. She draws all her energy and enthusiasm for life from them. I'm a bit of an introvert who dresses up as an extrovert and my firstborn, Chella, is also an introvert. She's notorious for spending Saturday nights at home binge-watching Gilmore Girls with us while her friends are harassing her to come out. So I guess this situation probably wouldn't bother her at all. But I'm dealing with an extroverted social butterfly who's been finding the last few weeks really tough without her mates. So I'm kind of glad she's back. Even though she can see her friends on like a Zoom meeting, they're still interacting and, and I'm really grateful for that. Guys, I've had to accept that I'm not going to be able to replicate school and I suggest that you do the same thing right now. Say to yourself, I'm just not going to be able to do that. But look, we could find ways to give our kids knits and maybe I could like use Lynx Africa as air freshener and leave Elio's wet nappies around to recreate that teenage boy toilet piss aroma and maybe warm up some cheese in the microwave because you know how all teenagers around 13 kind of smell like warm cheese? (laughs) And also, some of us are on triple duties, working, parenting, and supervising and education. And I don't know about you, but I'm not built for that. It was, I, as a human person, I was not built for that. And any sort of work, family, school separation is literally impossible. I have been finding it really hard to pivot between working and parenting the last few weeks. And, and I've been feeling like I'm just failing at both. I'm I'm with the kids and I'm like just trying to brush them off so I can answer an email and then I'm answering an email and looking at my kids watching the, their fourth hour of TV just thinking, God. So when I realised I had to throw schooling into the mix, I knew I had to readjust my expectations of myself and my kids. So I Googled and researched and I came across two very ways of thinking. One said, you know, when Odie starts school that I need to maintain a strict schedule to minimise interruptions to my child's education and don't worry, I set my laptop on fire after I read that article. And the other school of thought said that if I just provide a loving and supportive environment during this time, that that's enough. But then I felt that that was too far the other way. And, and I really feel like we need to get a happy medium between strict scheduling and hours of snacking and TikTok making. So I thought I'd share with you my plan. And remember, you take everything I say with a grain of salt. You don't have to do it. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just going to let you know my intention and I'll let you know how we're going in a week. So my plan is each day she's going to get up at 7.30. We're going to make her bed. She's going to get dressed and be down at breakfast by 8.15. She's a slow mover. Then we're going to have breakfast and talk about what classes she has first. At 8.30, we go upstairs because I've set our study up for her. We've got a whiteboard where she's going to write her classes for the day. And then at 8.45, she logs on and she starts the school's remote learning program. And I guess... If there's one thing you can do is set up a space that's just theirs and maybe it's just a tiny little card table if you've got no room or rope off a part of the kitchen table just as long as they've got their own area. Let them decorate it and I'm not going to interfere. And Just know that's very hard for me because I am a helicopter black ops parent. Like I, if I could microchip my children's eyes so that I could see what they were seeing at all times, I'm very hands-on, guys, as you know, but I'm not hands-on at school. Like I said, black ops, I stay away, I stay away, but if someone messes with my kid, I just like zoom in and take everyone out. So I'm just going to check in with her every 30 minutes, just like a teacher would in class. And if all else fails, if that all goes down the shitter, we're going to be reading. We're going to be talking up 
about the books. We're going to be drawing pictures of the characters. We're going to imagine alternative endings. You know, the internet might go down and she may be feeling flat about maths, but I just feel like books can help her learn some great skills. And she can also eat and curl up on the couch while she's learning and she can't do that at school. And then when 3.45 hits, she can have all the fecking screen time she wants because that's mummy's time. That's when I'm going to get really into my work. She can, she can have five screens going at once if she wants. I don't care. So I want to say, oh, actually, guys, I did promise those of you without kids, I need you. Listen to me and listen to me well. Check in on the people you know with kids. If you have friends with kids or family members with kids that you're friendly with, help them out. I know a lot of you have got lots of time on your hands now, so do a Zoom story time. Drop off care packages of coloured pencils and puzzles. If you have that time, invest it in helping your mates and family members trying to combine working, parenting and schooling. Please, and this is a call out to any of my friends listening now, please help me. Please help me entertain my children. See, I told you I'd have something for you guys that have not had children. All right, the last thing I want to say before we get into this week's chat with Michael Lucas, and my God, we have a lot to talk about. Ellen has become the villain of coronavirus. MasterChef is back. I mean, God, there's just so much. And, of course, unorthodox, so we've got to get to that. But the last thing I want to leave you with, to my parents, just be gentle. Not my parents, Jenny and Vince. I'm talking about you guys parenting your kids during this time. Just be gentle, be patient and be realistic with your kid and yourself while you both adjust to this new way. (gasps) Oh my goodness, I hope some of that was helpful. I was really nervous about doing it because there's not a lot of jokes, but I just felt like today I woke up feeling overwhelmed and I thought some of you would be feeling overwhelmed and there we go, she's gone into manic territory, so it's probably time we bring in Michael Lucas. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. Odie, back upstairs. Odie, it's 11 o'clock. Back to school. <laughs> God, I know. Oh, Michael Luke is joining me now as I just yelled across the house, Odie, get back to school. And <laughs> I loved it. It was perspective. <laughs> oh, you know, just thought I'd do. Just trying to keep it real. Uh... <laughs> I should turn around and go, Adrian, stop lovingly preparing the salmon for tonight. Sorry. Oh, my God. I sorry. hate you so much. <laughs> and I want. And, my, and I want people to know that would be true. That's Adrian, his husband, they, they would already have dinner prepped. You've probably already started thinking about what's tomorrow night's dinner. Pretty much, yeah. Oh. I actually think it's Barramundi tonight. Anyway, moving on. <gasps> Barramundi? <laughs> oh, my God. I want to be a cosmopolitan gay man in lockdown with my husband. This isn't fair. There should be a show where, like, you know, they do wife swap. It should be called ISO swap. Oh, <laughs> That just would not be hygienic. I would come to help out with the kids. It would not be good for the pandemic. We have to respect science. <laughs> I had an idea called ISO Island as well, like oh, yeah. where, where contestants would go to an island and everyone has to wear a mask so you don't know what their face looks like. So you have to fall in love with the personality and you can't touch them either. So it's like no touching, only eyes on view can love conquer all. How good are so island? Oh, yeah. And one hell of a reveal coming later. <laughs> and also, how crushing if you reveal your face and the person goes, you know what, I love everything about your personality. That face can't get past it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah your eyes were really misleading. Um, look, we've both obsessively watched the MasterChef comeback. I mean, MasterChef bringing back beloved contestants because they've gotten rid of the beloved judges was a stroke of genius. Genius. Do you know what I mean? 
Because now I kind of feel like before it was like watching three dads kind of walk around yelling at people and now I'm watching like young, groovy, hot chef people with tattoos and red dresses and, you know, I care. Like I love the judges. They're so glamorous now. Oh, I know. It's a bit of a revelation. It's like I never considered that a master chef judge could be hot. But now <laughs> we've got three different varieties of them. And I'm oh. like, well, how, did we, how did we miss this opportunity for so long? Not that I didn't, you know, enjoy watching the old ones, but it's oh, really gone to a new level. Oh, look, no disrespect to Gary, Matt and George. Of course not. But this is just a new dimension. This yeah. is MasterChef 2020 and I am living for it and also living for Gordon Ramsay. I know. I feel like he has actually softened a little bit, but, I'm, but I, yeah, no, I, another stroke of genius bringing him in at the start. I haven't watched since season one. I know. And I'm back hard. You, you know, in season in season one or two, I actually flew to New York with the MasterChef contestants to do a story for the project. Like that yeah. was that was when Ten was spending serious money, like they took all of the contestants just to cook in a New York restaurant. It was an amazing trip for me because I got to on the back of Matt Moran, the chefs, Black Amex, go to all the hatted chef restaurants in New York and just walk right in. It was an amazing time. <laughs> Incredible, long gone now. Best long not to think now. about it. It's so true, but we did watch episode one and, God, I, uh, no, I will say, if Gordon Ramsay doesn't threaten to burn someone's house down and go after their grandmother soon, I will be a little bit disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> He's still there for the rest of the week. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's wait Totes. till Thursday. Totes. So we've already picked our favourites um, and you are... I came in with the favourite. Yeah, uh, emo- emotionally uh, invested. Oh, wait, you know what we need to do? We need to just get into the mood because this is my radio brain working. We need to hear the MasterChef theme music. Okay, that's enough. Stop. Don't get in trouble. Okay, so your favourite is Poe. Oh, Poe. 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 For me, it is unfinished business from over Mm -hmm. a decade ago. Mm -hmm. uh, That first season, I watched it however many nights a week it was on. Yeah. And uh, look, we all love Julie. She's great. She's oh, she's great. But sweaty Julie. God oh, love her. She, with the flower she, she added, in her hair. Oh, I loved her so much. She just added a little bit of Julie DNA into every dish she made. <laughs> but Poe, Poe was, oh, just the imagination. And she was so likeable. She put her mum on and her mum yeah. criticised yeah. her for not following the recipes properly. Every <laughs> element of it I fell in love with. And I, I felt like... She deserved the crown. She deserved the crown as much as I liked Julia. And to have her come back after mm. all this time, and it feels like such a risk to come back. But she could is. just sit. Oh, yeah. I like you, it. It's good that you've pointed that out because she was originally offered the judging role. She was originally offered to be one of the hot judges. Yeah. And she said, no, I'm more comfortable cooking. But you know what? She doesn't need to come back. In my mind, Poe has clocked cooking. She doesn't need to come back. She's got nothing to prove to me. That's why it's double brave. You know, double she didn't brave. have to come back. But she's she come back. And then, oh, my God, Michael. With good hair as well. Can't you? underestimate that factor. Oh. Good new pixie haircut. Didn't think, pixie cut didn't think how good it would be. Amazing. She's taken risks left, right and centre. Pixie Cat Poe is just, it's, an, it's a new thing. It's People are going to be taking that into hairdressers. She's loving that sassy short hair and I'm loving it for her. Although disaster did nearly strike and I did think about your emotional well-being on oh. episode one when this happened. Taking my dish up to be tasted, I just wanted a big hole, very, 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 very big hole to just swallow me up. I've forgotten an entire element of my dish. Oh, my God. 
Even now, I can feel my blood pressure rising. (laughs) (laughs) She's forgotten the chili jizz sauce. It binds the dish together, Em. Binds it all together. It's the soul. It's, I mean, it's crucial. It's wheat bix without milk, you know? It's just a dry wheat cracker in your mouth. But <sighs> luckily, it was Poe. The judges loved it. They were just, I can't believe I thought she was in trouble for one second. Gosh, well, I can't, I spent the whole episode thinking someone was going to get eliminated, then realised it wasn't about that. <laughs> and so I was needlessly stressed. I am honestly shocked at how stressed out I get, considering in the first couple of weeks of this pandemic, I could not invest in any television other than the news. I was dead to everything. But for some reason, I've turned a corner and I've overcorrected. And now mm. uh, it is. Pose in the second episode, her creme brulee, it was basically life or death for me. I could not stop watching and I was in a state of absolute panic the entire two hours. I I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why she's elicited this reaction. And I can't even think about if she were to be eliminated, I don't know how I'd react. I know. I just feel like that can't happen. I feel like she should have just been given the immunity pin at the beginning and we all would have agreed that was the best move, okay? I need to know that she has immunity right up until the last challenge. Oh, exactly Quite frankly, I mean, I I do whatever she says. I'll buy whatever she makes. I'll go to whatever restaurant she opens. She's already a winner, Michael. She's Pixie Cut Home now. You can't get past her. Uh, Meth Lab Raymond, for me, is also a hot favourite. I love Meth Lab Raymond. Now, um, for those of you who may not know, he made this amazing dessert. It was like a a white supremacist dessert and um, (laughs) everything in the dish had to be white. And then he used all this liquid nitrogen. Do you wish him was a MasterChef judge? I really enjoying the white supremacy in this dish. <laughs> Everything had to be white. And he used like he had goggles on and he had blow torches and liquid nitrogen and it looked like he was constructing a meth lab. So I now call him Meth Lab Raymond. So we've got Pixie Cut Poe, Meth Lab Raymond. And the other person that was kind of annoying me was the ice cream baron. I don't even know his name, but he has an amazing haircut. And he was known for ice cream in the show. Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. And he said, I just don't want to be about ice cream, but I do have 50 ice cream parlors around the world and ice cream's my thing. I'm like, well, stop mentioning ice cream, dickhead, if you want to move on from it. So they're my three. <laughs> but, I mean, we, we are getting emotionally invested. And you, and the other show that – and we did give people this homework to watch on Tuesday's episode. And if you didn't watch it, don't worry, we're not going to spoil it. A show that – and I sent it to you and I said, you must watch this. I find myself bullying you a lot. But I feel like it pays I'm off. I'm glad You're- that you can articulate that. <laughs> No, but it's like it's like loving Italian mother bullying when I know what's best for you, even though you don't. Yeah, Do you're serving up a plate of food, going just eat it, just eat it. Exactly, you, you need just it. Taste it. And just I taste did. a little bit. Oh. I needed it. Unorthodox, Michael. It is the story of 19 year old Esty. She's fleeing her Hasidic Jewish community in Williamsburg to find a new life. Have a listen. You escaped, didn't you? You make it sound like I was in prison. Weren't you? No, but I left without telling anyone. Why did you leave? God expected too much of me. I was so in so early. And just public service announcement, it is only four episodes. Don't do what I did, get halfway through the fourth one, thinking you've got four more to go and then be devastated. Four episodes, savour it. It's so true. I was the same. I got to the end of three and I saw the last episode was four and I was like, I want the last seven hours of my life back. I need to eke it out. It's just, and we will not give anything away, we promise, but it is captivating and and so basically she's 19, she's in an arranged marriage and in her community 
um, young fertile women's only real value is to have babies. And she quickly feels trapped by that. And I guess we kind of led to believe, Michael, that she's felt different and trapped her entire life for the rest of the people in her community. Yes. And I mean, which is partially why it is perfect ISO entertainment. I mean, look... (laughs) Do we have that much in common with orthodox, mega strict Jewish communities of Williamsburg? Probably not. But when you're trapped at home in isolation, stories of repression really cut through. <laughs> I do. But I feel like you say that, right? And yes, she's in this this remote, she, it feels like she's in remote Israel, but in fact, she is in New York. Like That's the other yeah. thing, the, the amazing way they shot it. But it, and it's just for me as a, as a woman... Just watching another woman feeling stifled by the life she's in, wanting to find herself and, you know, find a community to belong to and your place in the world, for me, it's the universal things, Michael Lucas. And for me, it's because at its core, it is pretty much the same story as The Little Mermaid, if you think about it. (laughs) Just swap Orthodox Jewish people in Williamsburg (laughs) for mer people in the Undersea Kingdom, same story. (laughs) Oh, my God, you're spot on. Yeah, I mean, Ariel wasn't betrothed to someone with whom she had no sexual chemistry. That could have been an element of the story. And, in fact, if you think about it, she was probably going to run into some troubles with Eric down the track. (laughs) But, but... Yeah. So many. In fact, in fact, when she goes to Berlin, not giving anything away because it all happens in the first episode, she basically meets someone who does. Like I would cast him as Prince Eric. Oh, me too. And and Berlin, I love when she gets to Berlin. You guys, like her, she, there's gays, there's Muslims, there's women with opinions. Like it's it's everything you want for her new life. And even her, you know, her haircut is. Uh, anyway, we're giving too much away, but. What I well, no, it's all is- in the first episode that because it's splitting back and forth in time. Like it, yeah. you, you learn the story of the past, and then uh, and then and- you watch the present. And she is unbelievably socially successful in Berlin. I mean, she's you know she's never googled before. She's got a strange haircut. She walks into a coffee shop and literally picks up the hottest guy yeah. in all of Berlin. Yeah. So but it's also on- that story, <laughs> which we all want. It's the age old. But what I also love is is how lovingly this show and respectfully this show portrayed you know, the the Jewish Orthodox Hasidic oh. community. And especially these are the Satmar Jewish community and they're, they're the most extreme in their religious conservatism. They escaped hungry, most of them from the Holocaust, and they actually amongst themselves feel like it is their duty to rebuild the six million lost. So that's why all the women have, you know, 12 babies. Um and some of the ceremonies are so beautifully and painstakingly recreated and it isn't so much as saying, oh, the good guys in Berlin, are in Berlin and her oppressors are in New York. That's that's not the case and I think that was really cleverly done. But the, oh, there's yeah. the, one, the one thing that made me, I got really, I cried when she went and had the mikvah, which is the purifying ceremony that brides-to-be go through where they, they turn up, they have a shower, they brush their teeth, they clip their nails and then they're immersed in like holy water and this, this you know, and it purifies them and... That whole scene was very respectful and I just, yeah, I, and I think it's important to know that it's just the story of one Hasidic woman's experience. There are a lot of women who are in the Jewish Orthodox communities who are very happy. Yes, presumably. And, can, you, I mean, can you tell I only passionately other, thought about this? I, I'm my only other. <laughs> look, I, I am an expert in the culture because I did watch Barbara Streisand's Yentl a lot as a child. <laughs> But beyond that, yes, I presume this is just one perspective. But the genius of it is if you are looking for a, a very rich, very detailed, beautifully rendered examination oh. of an intricate culture, you'll find it here. But also 
If you're, say, wanting to watch something, you just want to whack in something like Dirty Dancing to watch an innocent Jewish girl bag an impossibly hot guy, this show will give you both. It will give you the high (laughs) and the low end, which is why I could not recommend it more. Oh, my God. It is rare that I go into the beauty and colour of something and you come out with a shallow I know. part. I I've, enjoyed that reversal. You've done a deep dive into the history of the culture. I've given you Dirty Dancing and Little Mermaid. <laughs> I'm living for this moment right now. Oh, but we do before I, you leave me and go off uh, to do the things, whatever it is you do during the day. What are you going to do? Plan the oh, meals for the rest of the week? Writing. Oh, oh, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just stupid yeah. writing. You're writing yeah, the, the next episodes of four bedrooms, aren't you? It's five bedrooms, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, uh, we just dropped I, um, a bedroom, yes. guys. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Amidst <laughs> trying recipes, cleaning the house and going for long, loving walks, yes. Oh, f*** off. Uh, now, uh, Ellen mm, has oh. become, yeah, Ellen's become the... The unexpected villain of coronavirus, I'll say. She decided to move her talk show uh, to her house, obviously, because everyone's in isolation. It's coming live from her $43 million Californian palatial mega mansion. And she, like all of us, Michael, is feeling the pinch of being in isolation and just wanted to share her frustrations. One thing that I've learned from being in quarantine is that people – this this is like being in jail is what it is. It's uh, mostly because I've been wearing the same clothes for 10 days and everyone in here is gay. <laughs> the jokes that I have. Oh, she's taken that down. She's taken it off all of her platforms. So you've done well to get that. Mm, I know. And the thing is, it has been a great few months for her because she was obviously seen with George Bush at a guy, a football game, um, the guy who refused to properly classify LGBTQI hate crimes, and then there was the whole Iraq war thing. But she, um, she kind of looked, because there are literally people sitting in jail cells that can't actually get even soap. So yeah, she's managed in one joke to combine mm. so many offensive things. Firstly, the whole like she's in jail when she's in this incredible mansion, and by the way, the mansion does look incredible. I mean, that oh my god, floor, did you window. see those floor to ceiling windows? Like lush green outside, beautiful, stunning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, yes, it's the coronavirus impact on uh, p- prisoners in America is obscene. Not only are mm. they totally at risk, but also they're often being forced to work to do all mm. of this hazardous hazardous thing like burying the bodies in New York. But then in addition to that, there's a whole lot of landmines. You don't joke about everyone being gay in jail. The gay community, as you would think she would know, are a bit sensitive (laughs) about that. And she got it all in this one (gasps) throwaway gag. No, it was like it was a fence Yahtzee. It was quite quite an achievement. But the thing is, I think that celebrities are collectively losing their minds. I just feel like this is really highlighting – that they don't know what the f*** to do during the times where there is such a chasm between the normal folk and the mega-rich celebs. Because even Wonder Woman, who I thought was untouchable... Oh, never a foot wrong, never. (laughs) Gail Gadot, um, she is lovely and always posts these really hopeful and incredible spirited mess. She had a a little idea while she was walking through her multi-tiered... But one hectare long walk-in wardrobe. Day six in uh, self-quarantine. These past few days uh, got me feeling a bit philosophical. You know, this virus had affected the entire world. Everyone. We're all in this together. 
And I saw, I ran into this video of this Italian guy playing the trumpet um, in his balcony uh, to all the other people who were locked inside their homes. And he was playing Imagine and there was something so powerful and pure about this video. So she, she was <laughs> touched by this. And the first of all, I want to pull her up on the sentiment of we're all in this together. Are we, mm. girl? Are we all in this together? You know, like when I can't pay my mortgage in two months, will you spot me three grand? <laughs> Are we all in this together? So what she did was, Michael, she gathered a bunch of other celebrities, did she not? She did indeed. And look, who's going to say no? You get a text message from Gal Gadot saying, I'm doing a bit of a sing-along. I'm not going to say no to her. I like to think that maybe I'd think this could be naff and offensive, but if Gal Gadot's texting me personally, I'm going to be, I mean, look, think of the things I do for you when you text me personally. I would have been one of those people shit-canned singing that song. I know, but I don't know. She got people that like are normally quite political. Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, he's who, the who, shocker, isn't he? He attacked Ellen for the lunching with Bush. He's normally on the forefront of environmental protection. He's anti-fracking. He's everywhere. He did this. Jimmy Fallon did this. Natalie Portman, who sewed the names of female directors into her coat that she wore to the Oscars. Kristen Wiig, who you would think would, you know, she would find the irony in anything, but not this. So all of these people got together and sang Imagine by John Lennon. Have a listen. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try No hell below us Above us only sky Imagine all the people Living for today Yeah It was interesting to hear because I thought if you couldn't see them in their mansions, would it work a bit better if it was just the voices? The answer? No. No, it's still terrible. Most people are struggling to get by. I don't need hot, rich people singing at me. It's just not going to cut it. And and Twitter has been resoundingly... They're like, guys... Go pay for some masks. Go buy some ventilators. Please stop telling me we're all in this together from your massive mansions. You know what they need? They need, because, I mean, I I acknowledge that I've I've been in a lucky, not that level of lucky situation. I'm not in a mansion with gardens or anything like that. But, you know, I've fallen on my feet. And uh, they need a friend like you who's going to text them constantly and literally text me going, check your privilege. I make 15 (laughs) meals a day. If I even get half a breath of thinking, you know, oh, I'm suffering at the moment, she's there. To pull. You, you should offer a service in. A check your privilege service. Totally. I did text you. I did text you saying. I know you're sitting there enjoying your, your reading and your coffees and looking out and you've still got paid work and you can order Uber Eats. I can't. I am homemaking meals. We live too far away. Yeah, I sometimes get your privilege is showing. I get that. I think I also asked you how much exactly was in your bank account in case I have to borrow in the next few months. <laughs> <laughs> so you're true, the but- missing element in their lives. <laughs> I just think, look, they did They did work in unifying all of us in our combined hatred of the song. I think they did. I'm desperate did to know the follow-up text that Gal sent after it all went to shit. Lol, soz. Or would she have just tried to find the four or five good tweets and go, so much love? 
Heart emoji. I don't know how you'd approach it. I think you'd have to do it. I mean, it's hard. You can't invite them around to dinner to apologise, can you? <laughs> Bless the mega rich. I feel like now's the time. Just keep your head down. Do your yoga. Enjoy your life, but don't tell anyone else about it. We'll be obsessed with you again in six months. Just oh, no ride, doubt. Right this wave, you guys. Stop trying to tell us you're one of us. You are not one of us. I am now currently staring at a pile of washing that I don't know which half of it's dirty or clean. There is dog spew on the floor. There are three dirty nappies. You are not me. That is not happening in your house. Piss off. Look, you are probably slightly closer to me, but still a long way. And I will want to see your mansion again. I really will. But give it six to 12 months. And then full spread, full spread. Give me everything. But for right now, I want to know what your post-corona makeover looks like. I want to know how much weight you lost or gained. I want to know it all, but not now. I'm just being shushed. I'm being shushed by the person doing her remote learning upstairs because her entire class can hear this thing. <laughs> well, that's right. good. They should check right. their privilege too. Check your privilege. You've got education. All right, I better go. All right, thanks. I'll uh, chat to you. We'll, we'll, we'll hear of you again on Tuesday, but I'll probably talk to you later. Yeah, can't wait. All right. Yeah, okay, bye. See ya. This is Emsolation. Okay, well, I've moved to the kitchen because we were being too loud. <laughs> Odette's entire class just heard my chat with Michael Lucas. It's time for... Look, your favourite segment, that's fine. I'll win you guys back, no doubt. Super coach Scotty is in the house. Also, Elio is sitting next to us. So if you... Oh, hello. If you hear some noises, that's why. But it's real, guys. It's real. We're at home in also with the baby. Yes. Uh, Scotty, this week's topic is one you have pretty intimate knowledge of because I feel it often. Yeah, for sure. So um, maybe we can listen to the question. Oh, all right, mate. Let me do the throwing. I'll do the throwing to the grab. Let's hear Hannah. Hello, my name is Hannah. I'm 30 years old from Sydney. Uh, Scott, can you please help me with um, always feeling guilty whenever I say no to people and then a lot of the time backtracking on that um, because of the guilt and then it being a vicious cycle of feeling guilty about that. So any help you can give would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Oof, Hannah hitting me in the feels. First of all, the big hard thing for a lot of women is saying no. Why do we find it hard to say no? Well, if you ask me, it's because women are conditioned to say yes, to always be available and um, fill the needs of others yeah. in our society. You'll notice Scott is Scott spins much slower than Michael and I do. So we've just come from manic chatting. And I and Scott is super Zen master, so just they they're gonna be in loving the change of pace. Oh he dropped his So the first part of Hannah's question is getting up the courage to say no and then sticking to that. So how do, how do we overcome that desire? Because for me, it's I want to please and I want everyone to like me. And the minute I say yes to things, I instantly start fantasising about ways I can get out of it straight away. So what can we do to not feel that guilt? Well, I reckon it might be helpful to first um, break down the mechanism of guilt and why it happens. Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling really distracted at the moment with the little bloke here, to be honest. This is real life, life Australia. He's eating, he was having a little wrap with a bit of diced chicken in it and he's just perked up. 
going. Anyway. Breaking down the mechanisms of guilt. Why does guilt happen? What's the mechanism? Well, when we do or think or say or accept something that we feel is wrong, when I say that in talking marks, wrong in our eyes, we get this feeling of guilt. So what it, what it's sort of telling us is we've gone against our personal values, our standards, or even our identity, who we want to be. So really, in some ways, a guilt is an internal happening. We, no one can really do it to each other, even though people will manipulate those and others, but really it's a, it's a creation of your own values, really. So emotions are never bad or good. They just are what they are. So it's helpful to just view them as this is an important messenger. So guilt can really be pointing to us, telling us what's important. You can keep going. You're doing great. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, so you've got Hannah saying, people ask me, I say no, then I feel bad, then I feel bad that I'm doing it because yeah. I didn't want to. So yeah. I want you to say, to, I want you to help all of us, the next time we commit to saying no, how do we change our mindset from then instantly feeling bad like we've let someone down? Well, I think part of it is um, to explore where that um, reluctance to say no comes from because if you don't um, surface that from a deeper level, you're probably always going to be battling around on, on the surface. So if, if like saying no, so what is that, what, what is that, what's the value inside that? And maybe it's value, your value as a person being of service, being liked, uh, being accepted, or even it could go as deep as being, being worthy and legitimate. So... If by saying no, it puts that risk, puts that value at risk, all right? And then saying no as a woman in our world could be, you know, part of, obviously we discuss the social conditioning, but maybe that means, oh, hang on a minute, if that's what women are meant to do and I say no, that may, does that mean I'm not a woman? Does that mean I don't belong? It can go that deep, all right? And then uh, Hannah also said, um, changing her mind, and and that can be things like, well, changing your mind is a reflection that I'm not being strong, or I'm not being dependable, or having integrity. So it's all those things. So some of these things can be triggered. So um, that's what's at risk when people are going, oh, hang on, I want to say no, but if I if I say no, it might mean. Duh, 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 duh. Mm-hmm. Does that help? <laughs> You're so cute. Does that help? It does help. But you need to know, can you go get the baby? He's calling upstairs. I guess the thing with women and the guilt, there's all different sectors of guilt for me. There's mother guilt, which is a massive one that I've been trying to work on. There's professional guilt. There's wife guilt. There's uh, family guilt. Like I want to I wanna be there for my parents. And I think there's all these, all these different levels of guilt and, and I feel like I'm just pivoting from one to another. Like sometimes I feel like there's no safe space away from it. So it, I guess I guess it's – the baby's got the dog bowl. The overlying big skeletal scary shadow of guilt is something I think women feel quite acutely. So is there a way that we can catch ourselves when we're in that moment, a simple way of just saying, okay, I've made a decision or I've not met an expectation I've placed upon myself – then is there something we can pivot to rather than the usual, I'm a bad person, I feel bad, I've let everyone down, no one's going to like me, I'm a failure? Well, yeah, I mean, if there's something that you feel guilty about, you can obviously always make amends and apologise and change change what you've done, so I'm sorry about that or whatever. But then there's a recognition that, hang on a minute, by saying yes to others, am I saying no to myself? So- oh, I love that. Say that again. That's a teachable moment. Here we go. Now listen to this, Scott Barrett. No, don't remember the, t- the baby is playing with the dog food. It's perfectly fine. Here we go. Say that again. That was amazing. 
Well, if we're always saying yes to others, are we saying no to ourselves? I love that. I love that. I mean, I want that on a bloody T-shirt. It's okay, Odie. Come in. Odie's homeschooling. Say hello to everyone. Come here. Come here. Hello. How's the remote learning going? Good. Okay, Dad's just talking about guilt, so it's good. Okay, so we've gone every which way with guilt, as so often happens, and we need to return to Hannah, who so thoughtfully recorded her question and sent it in, as you guys can do. You know what to do. Send it into hello at mrussiano.com. But Hannah's question was, Scotty, how can she say no in a situation and not feel guilty about saying no and not get stuck in that guilt cycle? Yeah, and so I think uh, in these type of situations when it's uh, in a conversation, often it can be hard to try and change that behaviour right there and then. So, you know, you can just say no and grit your teeth and sort of push through that awkward phase, but it's happening, often it's happening subconsciously anyway. So I think um, back before you even get into those situations, just having a think about, you know, why am I saying no? What am I trying to protect in me? What's important to me in all this? So, you know, you might be someone who wants to be accommodating to others, but it's coming at the expense of yourself. Then you think, okay, well, maybe I need to be, you know, framing that differently. And maybe maybe the world won't fall in if I say no. Uh, maybe I won't be perfect. That's okay. Um, and recognising the needs of yourself as much as the, you know, your wants to, um, you know, help others. Okay, well, you so was. Well done, pipes. Uh, look, guys, if you have something you'd like Scotty to tackle for you, something keeping you awake at night, it can be as trivial or as large as you want. Please record yourself just like Hannah did. Hi, my name's Blah. I'm this many years old. You can say whatever you want. I mean, I would say like I'm 25 and I'm from here and Scotty, can you help me with this? And email it to hello at mrussiano.com. Thanks, Scotty. We'll chat to you Tuesday. Thanks, Emmy. Thanks, Gunny. And thanks to all of you. Today's episode was crazy and manic and I wish you could have seen what was happening behind the scenes. <laughs> but it's real life and this is going to be mirroring a lot of what's going on for you. So just lower your expectations, do your best, and we'll chat Tuesday. Don't forget to subscribe, to review, and also it's Bring a Friend Week. If you listened to this episode and you loved it, pick someone else to copy and paste that link to and send it as a text message and just say, here you go, listen to this. I'll hear you guys on Tuesday. See ya. A Podcast One production.